the Delves Spirit and Truth Podcast, where we wrestle with questions from the pew. This is Casey. And this is Jenny. Today, we'd like to delve into intimacy with Christ and what that really looks like. Casey, what is intimacy? Sadly, what we have is, in our culture, a hijacking of what that word looks like. We have this picture of it being strictly sensual or sexual in nature, when there is an aspect of sensuality to it in that there, what I always think of is two becoming one, as the scripture tells us in the beginning of Genesis, of an unveiling of one's soul to another so that there would be a unity brought about. And, you know, being raised in the, in the church and in the conservative church, you know, I always heard it said, you can, it's all about relationship and not religion. It's all about relationship. Did you hear that a lot too? No. No. Yeah. Not not in your circles, not in the circles you ran it's in. It's all about fear. <laughs> He's going to get you. And so for me, I equated that to quiet times, like lengthy quiet times, lots of reading of the word, lots of prayer. You know, after years and years of doing that, at some point, it just wasn't enough for the pains in my heart and for these strong emotions I was going through. How about you, Casey? Well, I would say I had no representation of what intimacy looked like in a home environment. And so, especially not receiving any type of teaching or understanding of of God's love for me. Um, I did believe and did receive and feel God's love, and I understood that, but there was always this mixed signal of not quite measuring up not meeting a specific standard. So so what it looked like to have an unveiling of one soul to another person was never revealed to me. It was never shown. It was never displayed. So when you were going through times of strong negative emotion, what would you do? Did you know how to go to God? Oh, no, not really. I mean, from time to time, it was kind of like that, uh, a, a split concept of being able to do that. But most of the time, it would be turning towards just coping mechanisms that were at hand. Yeah. So what are some of your coping mechanisms? Some of my coping mechanisms. I would say earlier on in childhood, so I was introduced to pornography when I was nine. So that was probably one of the biggest coping mechanisms in any measure of stress. This is pretty common for males. And so why, oh, yeah. can you explain to me why that's a coping mechanism? Well, it brings you a small dopamine hit, and so it makes you feel good. It's like working out really hard, and then afterwards you're like, oh, that was worth it. Except there's no real effort. Yeah, and then, you know, probably the emptiness afterwards, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. There's Especially as a Christian, um, getting saved and then understanding like, oh, wow, this is wrong. This is not a, This is not a good thing. And I think so many people are completely un- even unaware of why they're going to these things, why they're going to things like um, shopping and overeating, drugs, alcohol, Yeah, I would say eating's a big issue in our society. And so that's my favorite is like I love me some chocolate. Is like I feel bad. I want a brownie. Hey, I'm a grown adult. I can have a banana split for dinner if I want. <laughs> and so not recognizing what was pushing you towards that or pushing me towards food or whatever it was, 
Um, and so when you don't even have the recognition of what is going on inside of you, you don't even know how to do the first step of then choosing to turn to the Lord instead. All coping is is a distraction from facing that unpleasant feeling. Right. And so if you don't have any of those things at hand that you're prone to, you'll turn to something else, whatever it is. And you have so many people um, in our society that turn to entertainment. Right. And so, and I feel like inside the walls of the church, there wasn't really any real solutions. It was basically just a no list, like a don't do this, 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 like these are ugly coping mechanisms and these are somewhat acceptable, like Mm -hmm. acceptable inside the church would be performance mode going into do, 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 especially if it's unto ministry or unto the Lord. Well, that's what you see in, in Romans chapter seven, Paul's talking of, he's speaking about the man who knows God but has no ability um, to walk in the Spirit. He's still continuing to walk in the flesh. To be a person who knows truth, who wants to seek truth, who wants to pursue truth, but yet at the same time not have the ability to perform it. Yeah, and so, you know, there's a lot of, I think, concepts thrown out whenever I was being raised in the church about, like, life in the Spirit and things like that. But there, but I ultimately what I heard was— I never heard that my, <laughs> until I was, like, 20. What I ultimately I heard was a list of to do's and to don'ts is what I call it is like a list of if you're good and you love God, you're going to do this and not do that. And there was no real solutions for the deep um, emotions inside of me. There was no real solutions for trauma. There was no real solutions for pain except choosing to pray, choosing to put that away. And I am not a person that can just easily shut that stuff off or turn away from it. I really have a strong need for reconciliation, a strong need for resolution instead of just avoiding or turning away or blaming. Um, And so there's all these different coping mechanisms, but none of them really provide what we would consider intimacy with the Lord. It would just be an act of will, maybe a prettier coping mechanism than an uglier one. Well, what we tend to do, especially in the church, is with that that tension of not really having direction or empowerment of how to deal with those emotional issues. That's rarely even talked about in the church. What you have is a sincerity in most churches. It's true sincerity of people who are basically just parroting what they've been taught, which is to, and and that is not a detriment to them. It's just they know what they know. And so what you're doing is you're telling people, well, I was told to read my Bible and I got a lot of help out of that. That may be true, but it was probably a very long process of I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And there was a logical progression that took a long period of time to say, yeah, I guess I do believe this. And so there was a bit of peace that came about, but it wasn't it wasn't a resolution. There was not a lot of resolve to it. So I feel like if you are I feel like males, males are much easier at compartmentalizing things. And so I could see where people that are males, you know, or have that more compartmentalizing type personality could go to something like prayer or reading their Bible, and it would dissipate negative emotions because they're it, they're now no longer in that compartment. So I could see in some instances where that, that would work for people. But for me, that didn't work. You know, I think when we were early married, you were reading that book, and it was talking about how 
women are like computers and that whenever we have a window opened on the computer and we're working on something and another window opens up, we still have the previous window open and running Mm. and then another window comes up and we have another one running. And so we just have all these windows going at the same time. Guys, close the tabs. So as soon as one opens, what happens to the previous one? It's shut. It's, It's gone. Is X'd out. It is not even running in the background. Mm-hmm. It's not minimized at all. No. It's not minimized. And so it's that was there. so helpful for both of us understanding that we're built so differently because that's why I couldn't just go to prayer because now I'm carrying the weight of whatever I'm walking through along with my trying to connect with the Lord. And they're just both going on at the same time. So that really wasn't very profitable or helpful to me. It was more helpful to you. Yeah. I mean, what you what you find with with the role and the design in which God had formed man and woman and how they are to complement one another, that there needs to be, especially as a spiritual leader in a household, there can't be all of these open windows all the time. They need to be resolved. I'm not excusing not resolving issues or just ignoring issues, but there there is a design to that compartmentalization in men. Right, like if you went off to war, you couldn't have all these things going on in no. your mind. Yeah, I'd get shot and die immediately, because or you'd cower in a corner, and that happens to a lot of men, and because they they have... can't go do the job that needs to be done because there there's so much baggage that they're carrying. Right, but because your brains are more meant to compartmentalize, you can be fully present and be at war even if other things are going on at home. Exactly. But like with moms, we have to have all the tabs open because we're cooking and nurturing parenting children and taking care of taxes on the side and forming a grocery list and doing all these things at the same time while maybe texting a friend that's going through a hard time and counseling her. Mm -hmm. And so it's like we have to have these brains that have all these tasks going on at the same time. One of of my favorite videos I think I've ever seen was this comparison of a mom and dad trying to hear what their kids are telling them. And all the kids are talking at the same time. And the mom's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then answers it all. And then this dad's like, shut up, stop, stop talking one at a time. Okay, you go. All right, gotcha. Now you go. And that's exactly how we operate. It's like, no, one thing at a time, please. Don't give me a long list. Give me one thing. Right. I'll do that one thing well, and then I'll move on to the next. So because of this design that God has given us and how our brains are so different, um, it does make things more easy for one than the other, depending on what it is. Correct. And so, um, so for me, one of the hard things was dealing with really hard negative emotions that produced a lot of pain and doing the rest of life at the same time. And so before we talk about how I started getting resolution and how I really found out what intimacy was, I just want to talk about the concept of discipleship. You talked about a second ago how a lot of churches just do what they were taught to do. Well, intimacy is a foreign concept in practice. It's understood theologically. Like, yes, we're supposed to be intimate with God, but no one can actually disciple you in something that they have no training in themselves. You can teach what you have. And so the issue in in discipleship within the church is there's just a void of understanding. My people perish for lack of knowledge. Like, there's just no concept of what it is to truly enter into intimacy with God personally. And so how can I train someone to do that which I don't understand myself? And so you see that vast void within the church of there's not a lot of discipleship and training up of what that is to look like. So historically, 
what did discipleship really mean back in Jesus' day? So discipleship in our modern concept would be more like apprenticeship. In comparing it to ancient times, it's going to look like apprenticeship. And that is going to be, okay, this person, this rabbi who is going to train me, I'm going to go follow them. I'm going to sit with them. I'm going to watch them. I'm going to look and see how they do everything. It's the same concept for a carpenter. It's the same concept for a plumber. You're going to watch and literally leave everything to go and have this person train me up. You see this example with Hannah, um, Samuel's mom, dropping him off with Eli to train him up. It's like, are you dedicated to the Lord? Your role is going to be serving the Lord for your whole life. And that's that's the the concept we see biblically. You have a rabbi, you have a teacher, you go live with them. The disciples left everything. They went and followed him. That was discipleship. You're leaving all, you're following so that you know what it is to walk according to that person's walk and imitate how they walk. And so, you know, the concept of discipleship isn't taught as a modern part of Christianity in most places. I feel like mostly the message is evangelism, conversion, and going to church. We have this this kind of thought of, you know, you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you say this prayer, you get your get out of hell free card, and then you go and kind of live your normal life, um, the American dream here in the West of, you know, having a nice house and a comfortable home and nice belongings and vacations and and nice things. And then if you're really mature in Christ, then you'll have a daily quiet time, maybe join a Bible study and eventually tithe. And so um, where do we get all these modern concepts of Christianity from? Well, they're just primarily cultural. It's not anything that we see from the scripture. It's just literally a, a cultural disconnect in America to where everything has become a castle mentality. And it is a sense of compartmentalization, but it's it's this idea of independence. It's this this liberal mentality. And not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a liberal mentality of um, it is my rights, it's my freedom, it's individualistic in nature. And so when you look to that ideology, it translates into the culture and then it influences the church to where it's me, my, I'm free to do what I want, which is a beautiful thing about our republic. But you look at that concept of individualistic nature has been so far contorted to what it is meant to be scripturally to where now you have, okay, I'm going to worry about what I need. I'm going to worry about what I want. And so if you can just meet these needs, then I can fit into whatever program you want. So I can attend church. I can tithe. I can do all of these things without actually having to give of myself without actually having to be in relationship, in true intimate relationship with other people, let alone the Lord. And I feel like the result of that, as I look around and just, you know, have friendships and stuff, really ends up being a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of lack of fulfillment. There, I feel like everyone is just searching. They're searching and they're just, they're looking for more. You know, if it's beauty, they're going for more beauty. If it's power, they're going for more power. If it's stuff they're going for more stuff you know more experiences more this more that and they're still just striving to find wholeness to find identity 
and um, and they're not finding it in the church, and because they don't even aren't even really taught true discipleship, they're just taught this modern Christianity thing, and they're so empty. There's so much emptiness, and like men, they, everyone says, like mental health is a crisis, and and it is because even the church isn't presenting solutions. You know, the church isn't even presenting true biblical Christianity for people. We've really watered it down and made it this um, thing that people will do. I remember listening to this this pastor that I really love, and he was listening to this person and I know I'm going to step on some toes just you know trying to hear his heart here though he was listening to this pastor and this pastor was going on and on about this big Christmas program that they were doing and the hundreds of hours of practice and all the money that went into this and how many people would come and sit in and watch this um, Christmas pageant and and the pastor listened to his friend for a while and then he finally stopped him and he said you know I just can't help but think that I, that would it not be more profitable for each one of these hundreds of people being involved to spend this much time going into the world and discipling people, like converting them and spending hours with them, discipling them? Wouldn't the result of those people being discipled be so much more than the one hour of people getting, you know, entertained in this Christmas message? And the the pastor responded and he said, well, yeah. That would absolutely be more profitable, but people won't do that. And and the, the, the pastor I really love said, well, I mean, where in the Bible does it say that we when that we make people comfortable and that we change the message to something that they'll do versus what they're actually called to do? And so, um, Casey, what does the Bible actually teach about Christianity in regards to discipleship? Well, it really just boils down to intimacy there is this picture of an apprentice coming alongside and literally to a degree like samuel with eli living with them you're eating with them you're breathing with them you're thinking with them you're seeing everything about them and so when we separate in the church this idea of discipleship to conversion and that you just need to be a faithful attendee rather than a true follower, um, you get this huge disconnect and separation of what intimacy is supposed to look like within the church. And so as you're speaking, the word that's coming to my mind is presence. They were there with him. They were present with him. And this has been a huge part of my journey of intimacy with the Lord is learning to abide in his presence and really being aware of him with me because when I'm aware that he's with me, it changes everything. I don't feel alone. I don't feel rejected. It's like having that firm foundation on the rock instead of on the sand. And life is just so much easier knowing that you have this father that is good and that will provide and protect and that he's with you. Before I could even go there, I had to change my beliefs about God because of, you know, just being raised, you know, your parents do the best that they can trying to teach you how to cope in this world. And through not necessarily what my parents taught me, but what I received was this idea of um, less of self, less of needs, less of emotions, and more of just functioning. So I was very good at functioning and just doing the things that I needed to do, but I was not good at understanding that the Lord actually wanted me to go to him with my hearts and with my pains. And so that obviously 
prohibit me from being able to be intimate with him and go to him with my emotions if I believe that he's annoyed by them. And so once there is a shift in my thinking of, oh, he actually wants to hear about my sadness. He actually wants to hear about my heartbreak and he wants to minister to that instead of, I think before I was always thinking like invalidation, I was world-class at invalidating myself and others. That's actually how I functioned really well. If someone's like, oh, I'm having a bad day and my car broke down, then I was like, oh, well, at least you have a car. And so you should be thankful you have a car, you know? And so let me help invalidate you and your emotions because that's how I function inside my own mind. And that's how I believe that the Lord was functioning with me. And so instead of being like sad that, you know, me and you are having a fight, Casey, and I'm like, oh, I'm so sad. And I would almost in my mind, it would be like, well, at least your husband's not addicted to drugs or, you know, cheating on you. And so you shouldn't be sad. Instead of allowing him to to minister to my heart, I just invalidated my own emotions and was self-sufficient and tucked it away. And the result of that was not beautiful or pretty. I had a lot of frustration inside myself because I would read scriptures like out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so I would recognize things coming out of my mouth that weren't beautiful. And I'd read 1 Corinthians 13, and it's like, love is patient and kind. It hopes the best, and it perseveres, and it's not self-seeking. And then I would see not love coming out of me. And And there were some really strong words in the beginning of that, that you could give all your stuff to the poor to be burned. And if you don't have love, it means nothing. And so I'm like, I don't have love. Like, And so then it became this season of just praying for more love in my heart and like, God, teach me how to love. God, give me more love. So the cry of my heart, I thought was to learn how to love in that season. But, you know, the word says that we love because he first loved us. And what I actually needed was a revelation of his love for me. And then through that revelation, I could love others. And so Casey, what's the difference between fruit of the spirit versus the works in that aspect of wanting to love or understand that you're loved, we can't love apart from him loving us first. There is an outflow of recognizing your identity as one who is loved. And so when you are fully embraced in the understanding that God loves you, love will naturally flow because, yes, it is we love him because he first loved us, but it is the love of God that is shed abroad in our heart. It is something that is a fruit that naturally grows. And so we can't force fruit to grow. All we can do is tend to the soil. All we can do is make sure that the appropriate environment for that fruit to grow is provided for. And so that's our part, right? We have to nurture the soil. What is the soil? The soil is our heart. So how do we nurture our heart and intimacy with God? That's the issue. We have to draw unto him in intimacy, recognizing how he has formed us, how he views us. And when we come from that place of acceptance and that place of recognition of being saints and children of God, no longer sinners simply saved by grace, we are now co-heirs with Christ. We have this great royalty and priesthood that we're a part of. We get to naturally, from that identity, um, exercise and see that love will grow Um, from that place of acceptance. I love how you talked about identity and how the more we understand how he looks at us, 
the more love just flows through us because we are receiving his love and, and really it comes down to abiding in him. And so what's a big shift that happened in your life where you really started understanding who you were in light of who he is? For most of my life, I did not quite understand what it meant to have the love of a father. And so when I come across that passage that we call no man on earth father except he who is in heaven, I couldn't resonate with that when I first read that. And so did not quite comprehend what that meant. And it's the it's my own personal experience, but it's probably one of the weirder ones in the midst of sin and not even necessarily pursuing God. There was an instance to where just like one night in the middle of the night, I was overcome from sleep with just a remorse and a in a repentance in my heart because I was living in sin. It wasn't so much a conviction, or I would say that would be what we would call condemnation. It was a recognition that I am not being the man I should be, but it was also a gentle, persuasive um, nudge, like, hey, you know you're doing wrong. And in that moment, just went outside to the backyard and just started weeping because there was just a, a comprehension, a, a clicking of information that I knew to be true and believed to be true, but had never taken into my heart to be true. That I recognized that God loved me even in the midst of my sin. And that I could truly say that that love for me has never changed since then. That that recognition of that love. His love never changes and his love never ends, but my recognition of that love was transformed. I just started to worship him and praise him in the middle of the night, staring up into the sky, on my knees crying because I I knew, I knew he loved me. And so in that place of recognition of love, I've never, ever doubted his love for me since because I had an encounter. Like he just pursued me in the midst of my sin there's there's no, there's not a good explanation it wasn't a logical conclusion it was he went out of his way to show up and display his love to me and so when i recognized that in conjunction with all the scripture i knew to be true that that was transformational yeah, so I would call that like a sonship revelation, like you understood what it was really like to be a son and and to have a good father. And and so it was like so many things happened in that moment. And I think it's really beautiful when people have these amazing God encounters that are life-changing, um, but I never got any of those, you know? And so, you know, I was put on this path of learning how to do that without that divine just reaching down encounter and honestly to be honest with you it happens i've heard more men with that story of sonship revelation and i don't personally i haven't ever heard an, a woman have that revelation i don't know if that has to do with that that god needs men to know that they're sons so that they can then father and and so they have to have a revelation yeah, of being probably. a father before they can father well and so they have to have that um but I love how you talked about that this comes from encounter. And we see where Jesus says that 
that he does what he sees the father doing in heaven. And, you know, he talks about abiding in the vine and that he's the, the true vine. And it all comes down to encounter. And so intimacy comes, I love to say, it's into me see. And it comes from opening our hearts to the Lord. And, and having him minister to us, having him speak to us, having him heal the pains inside of us. And so next week, I really want to talk about how to actually hear from God. Is it biblical? What does that look like? I think so many people are hearing from God and just not recognizing it. And when I started learning about it, it was such an aha moment because I was like, oh, that's happened to me before. And and just realizing that we can hear from God was so exciting to me. Well, he's, he says his sheep hear his voice. He's the good shepherd. So if we have a Christian history of not hearing from God, then either we're not Christians or we just don't know how to discern his voice. Next week, we're going to talk about how to recognize hearing from God, what that's called in the scripture, and how to really abide in him. Until next time, we bless you to walk in spirit and in truth.